Greetings, everybody, and welcome back to the Trojan Talk podcast. This is Ryan Young, publisher of Trojansports.com, and I've been excited, very excited, to push out this podcast and let you all hear it. As I teased on the last show, this one was also recorded last week, and I've just been waiting for the right moment to drop it for everybody, and that is today, that is now, or whenever you're listening to it. Whenever you are listening to it is the right moment. Just to give you a, just a very quick overview, and then we'll get right to the interviews. Uh, I think everyone knows that the dominant narrative right now in college football, well, there's two. There's conference realignment, which we covered last week at, at length on the podcast. But then there's there's NIL and how it's changed recruiting and how it's changed college football. It's, it's just a totally different game than it was two years ago. That's just the reality and NIL is a part of of every decision that uh, top prospects are making these days, and as well it should be. They have the opportunity to, to cash in as early as the end of their high school careers, as USC five-star QB commit Malachi Nelson has. And then that, you know, that goes into recruiting where we've seen reports of quarterbacks who have committed the programs in the Southeast reportedly getting eight and $10 million contracts uh, over the, presumably over the life of their time at those schools, massive numbers have been thrown around. And this is an important preface and clarification that again, I think NIL has morphed into something more or different than what most thought it was going to be. Why has that happened? Well, because there's been no guardrails, no oversight at all. The NCAA, which fought against NIL for years and years and years, to make it more general, fought against uh, player compensation of any kind for years and years and years and years and years until it realized it was losing the battle in the courts and and it was inevitable. And instead of using that time to put together a plan and a structure for NIL, as we now call it, name, image, and likeness compensation, the NCAA ultimately just threw its hands in the air and said, uh, just figure it out yourself, schools. And with no real governance or accountability or rules, technically, that are enforced, uh, it's become something much different than what was supposed to be a way for athletes to cash in on their again name image and likeness you know kind of the origin of all this was schools were able to sell jerseys with players numbers on them and yet the players got no money from that for decades um stuff like that now they can players can sign endorsement deals with local car dealerships or big national companies and and make whatever they can make off that. They can do a paid autograph signing or a paid public appearance, all that stuff. That is NIL as we knew it to be and what it was supposed to be. Then there was the rise of the so-called collectives, which is a bunch of boosters and donors and fans coming together and compiling cash, uh, raising money, raising money to fund quote NIL but what it 
has turned into is seemingly an avenue for uh, unfeathered pay-for-play, where those collectives are targeting that money at recruits as inducement to come to a certain school. And now most of that is going to fly under the radar. So we really have no idea what the full extent of that is, what, who's doing what, at what amount, et cetera, et cetera, because most of that is done in quiet. It's not publicized. It's not uh, celebrated publicly. Uh, a couple high-profile examples have come out, like I mentioned, with certain quarterbacks uh, getting lucrative deals up front from schools who may not have been the typical favorites to win battles for five-star and four-star quarterbacks. And we'll just speak in general terms like that. So NIL has uh, become a very broad term these days. And uh, there's, like I said at the top, it's just a, it's a different ball game for college football, for recruiting. And every school has had to figure out their plan and their answer. This has become a major topic of debate and discussion on our Trojan Talk message board where there are many USC fans who say, why are the Trojans not starting a collective and not playing this game, especially when they keep losing recruiting battles for top offensive linemen? And there are many fans who want USC to, to play on, on, on that playing field. And and put together a collective and, and throw money at recruits and, and make sure that they get what they need. And if that's being done elsewhere, you can certainly understand the fan sentiment for why not here. From everything I've gathered, heard, inferred, gleaned, that is not going to be USC's plan. USC announced last month its partnership with Stay Doubted, a third-party company that, which uh, in the official press release was billed as a modern-day media agency empowering the next generation of student-athletes and fans to provide enhanced NIL services to student-athletes. Under the umbrella of Stay Doubted is uh, Boulevard, which is a familiar name for USC fans who might recall in way back in 2020, USC pushing out an idea called Boulevard Studios, BLVD, Boulevard Studios. And the, the intent then was to use that to really promote athletes' personal brands and, and grow their NIL potential that way. Boulevard Studios kind of went quiet, went silent and, and went away, and we've never really heard exactly what decisions were made there in terms of why that became no longer a uh, prominent or active uh, wing of the operation at USC. But Boulevard is back uh, with some of the same people involved who we'll talk to here in a minute. As a subsidiary of State Data, it's no longer called Boulevard Studios, just Boulevard LLC. And again, to quote the press release, it will operate as a agency and media company that will exclusively serve USC student athletes to assist with the development of NIL opportunities. So combined between Stay Doubted and Boulevard, 
that is USC's answer to how it's going to approach NIL. It is not a collective. We will get in-depth into the differences and why uh, USC has gone that direction in our interviews as we bring on Michael Calvin Jones, the CEO of Stay Doubted. Who better to talk to than the person in charge of the whole operation? Uh, Michael Calvin Jones was also involved in the origin of Boulevard Studios, so he's had a partnership with USC for a relationship with USC for a few years, and he can and he tells us a lot more about how this came together, why this came together, why this is a potentially effective alternative to collectives, why he thinks that this approach is better than a collective. And I'm just going to let his words kind of speak to all that. I, I ask the questions, he gives the answers, and, and our listeners can take from it and draw their own conclusions as they wish. Uh, in addition to Michael Calvin Jones, we have on Spencer Harris, who has been the director of player personnel at USC for the last several years, resigned, stepped down from that role to move over to head up the Boulevard division of Stay Doubted and is really kind of overseeing that now and has, has a great perspective as he was on the recruiting side of seeing how NIL had changed things, and now he's fully on the NIL side of helping student-athletes earn money off, off their brands, off their, their stature, off their worth. And again, I'm going to let the interviews really answer all your questions, but the key difference between what collectives are doing and what USC is doing with this third-party partnership with Stay Doubted is that this money and this NIL is going to be just for student-athletes who are already on campus, already enrolled. It's not being given or guaranteed to recruits who are still a year from making it to campus. It's going to be for student-athletes when they get to campus. How can that still be used in recruiting? Uh, pretty simple. I mean, uh, it'll be a more effective sell once it gets up and running and, and USC can point to and say, look what uh, our state data partnership has done for last year's freshman class. Uh, X player made X last year. This player made this. And, and they can show that we have a structure in place that will maximize your earnings potential through various streams. And there is some overlap with what collectives do and that there are membership tiers for fans to get involved and pledge money. Uh, and that money will be funneled into NIL. And in return, depending on what tier you're in, it'll open up some unique uh, opportunities for fans to interact with players, to, to go to meet and greets, to to get involved some more personal level with the program and, and the and the stars of the program. Um, that is something that collectives are doing, and that's something that USC is doing. Uh, the difference is that, again, no money is being funneled to high school juniors to say, come to USC, and we will guarantee you this. It's The recruiting pitch is, hey, when you get to USC, we have this structure in place that, can really help you capitalize on your full value because Stay Doubted has these partnerships with these major national brands that they've worked with uh, for several years and they have an established connection with 
and they will target opportunities that make the most sense for you and can make you money. There's, like I mentioned, there, there there's the the public appearances. There's other ways that the money that comes in through the pledges, through the membership tiers, can get funneled to student athletes. So that's the overview, and I'm sure you have a lot of questions, which is why we're having Michael Calvin Jones on and then Spencer Harris, two separate segments. I wanted to get them apart so I could really go in depth on the different roles they're both playing, but also get the really get their full perspectives on both. So I promised I wouldn't ramble too long. I have rambled quite long. So I'm going to stop right there, and we're going to jump right into the interviews. Okay, without further ado, let's get right to it and welcome into the show, into the Trojan Talk podcast, Michael Calvin Jones, CEO of Stay Doubted. Michael, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Ryan. I'm, I'm fired up to, to be able to talk some USC football. It's always a, uh, a good part of my day when that's on the schedule, so I'm, I'm excited to be here. Terrific. Well, so much I want to cover with you, and I think all USC fans saw the press release when it went out last month about the, the partnership with Stay Doubted and and, uh, and Boulevard as a subsidiary and just kind of this being USC's answer to the NIL space. And I'm going to start very very broad with you and then we'll get more specific. But just from, from your perspective, kind of paint the vision to us of what you guys are doing, what you want to do. And, and you have it on your Twitter account. You say, unlike any other NIL program in the country, what does that mean to you? Yeah, that's a, that's a great starting block to, to kick off from. Uh, you know, as I think the, the fan base can see, the administration all the way to, to the top of the university side has been very thoughtful uh, over the last 12 months as we navigate one of the most, you know, transformational periods for, for collegiate athletics, from conference realignment occurring to um, the NIL and the transfer portal. I mean, a lot has occurred in the last 12 months, and uh, I give credit to, to USC and their partners to, to really navigate this space in, in a, an effective way for, for a sustainable future. So the reason why we say we're unlike any other NIL offering that's currently out there is, you know, in the last 11 months, we've seen the emergence of collectives. And that's a term that is being, you know, bi- widely used in, in a lot of different means. But for the most part, collectives focus is on raising a significant amount of money from, from donors or stakeholders and then, you know, inducing athletes to, or trying to get student athletes, prospective student athletes to, to come to their, you know, school based on some sort of a financial commitment and, and a quid pro pro status within that, you know, for us, that, that is, you know, something that's obviously you know, necessary to compete. Um, for us, we aren't going to focus on the perspective, perspective student athlete side of things. We believe that when they come to USC, what we can show is a history and a track record for what the current student athletes are being able to get done. You know, when you look at what Caleb Williams has done since he's gotten here um, and a few of the other premier level athletes, that track record stands for itself. So we'll have a membership program that, that functions very similar to how all of the other collectives function in terms of finding opportunities and, and getting donors to be able to co- contribute different membership levels and get perks based on their contributions. And then we'll take those membership dollars and we'll be able to, to, to use student athletes and pay student athletes to be part of events and get access to the donors and also you know, do memorabilia. Also, and this is really where that secondary piece comes in that differentiates everything, we're focused on an entire Boulevard, the brand, which is a revenue-generating initiative 
to have content and sell content to sponsorships and to brands, create events and sell events to brands, find revenue generating opportunities and bring even more money in from the LA economy. I think that is a big aspect that's being missed currently today is everyone is solely reliant on their fan bases to donate the funds. The LA is in one of the biggest economies in the world. Um, there's a lot of money that we can go out there and generate just from that. And that is a, a primary focus. And then lastly, the third tier would be around just finding ways to be able to support the student athletes in a wider way. Too many of the collectives are, are purely passing cash. And, and while that's important, it's short-term minded. These athletes need long-term success and, we're focused on financial literacy. We're focused on accounting and legal support, things that set them up. So yes, maybe they, they were able to get benefited by na their name, image, and likeness, but that just didn't work out for two years. That was able to help them set themselves up for years and years and years to come. USC has been doing that at, with their university, at the athletic level with so many different other areas. And now we can also do it in the NIL area. So there's a lot of components going on with Boulevard and, and that's why we're really excited about it differentiation between uh, from what collectives are and what you're doing is important. I want to get more into that. But first, just kind of lay out the breakdown of responsibilities between State Outed and Boulevard. What are those two components themselves doing differently for the student athletes? Yeah, so what's, what's neat is the State Outed, it's a media company, media publisher at the intersection of athlete lifestyle and culture. Our premise there is that we believe that there's not enough coverage of what athletes do out of competition covering their passion areas in fashion, gaming, music. And we're working with national Fortune 500 and, and Fortune 100 companies that are looking to, to partner and create original and branded content in that space. So we have a track record of helping those type of organizations do that. We've worked with 13 of the Fortune 100 companies. And, and now what this allows them to do is while we've been interacting with them at the national level, we can now bring them down to the regional level. We get asked a lot of the rooms by CMOs like, hey, I really want to be able to target the LA DNA, the, the LA viewership, the, that base. And I think we're really familiar with that over the last two weeks. We've seen what that viewership means as negotiations at the Fox and ESPN level are taking place. Fans are becoming more understanding of how important the LA base is. Well, we get that same ask and that same request from our you know, brand partners today. Hey, can you give me an opportunity to get down to the LA market and now Boulevard will be able to operate that. So we'll be able to tap into our national partners and bring them to Boulevard. But at the same time, Boulevard is functioning independently of itself as well. We have a membership program for fans that will be completely run, specifically built for the LA market and for USC fans. Our actual content and creator base of our media company side of it is currently working with LA-based creators and pairing them up with athletes to be able to create original content. All of that's coming in August, and we're excited about that premiering. So those two, while they're together, they also can operate very independently, and we're excited about to be able to, to pass and, and, and bring services to, to both the national and regional level. With, with the content creation side, so if I understand correctly, that's going to be kind of exclusive content that if I'm a fan – I sign up through your membership package and I can now access this content. Is that how it works? Yeah. So for us, we don't want to put content behind a paywall. We want to be able to put content in front of a paywall. Um, it'll be accessible for everybody through Boulevard's actual handles, TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram. So everyone will be able to see the content. Okay. We just really ask, tune in, watch, engage, comment, like, share, 
because what we're doing as an advertiser, as a publisher, we're taking that viewership and we're selling those eyeballs to brands. And student athletes are receiving a portion of those proceeds. So a portion of that revenue on top of the, the they're paid to be part of the content, and then we sell that content to sponsors. And that content, that revenue share goes back to student athletes. So it's a win-win for everybody. And, and also, I imagine it helps kind of grow their their personal brands and their market marketability and their, their visibility. Exactly. We put them in content and we're, and we're pairing up with, you know, you'll see influential content creators that have large audiences outside of sport. We're pairing them up with current athletes and putting them in content series. What that does is allow their athletes to get expansion into new audiences. As it sounds funny, Caleb Williams' audience is all USC and, and college football fans. If we pair him up with other creators who have fashion-based interests, he reaches a new audience and grows his base that way, which helps him negotiate with larger brand partners as he continues to go. Good stuff. So the, the membership component, let's go deeper into that. If, if I'm a fan and I want to contribute to this, I want to be a, a, a subscriber, a member, what am I getting out of that? Yeah, we're, we're going to have tiers that are accessible starting at a very low entry point to allow fans just to be able to feel like they're part of something. And that will go up uh, pretty high and, and allow fans a lot of different opportunities. In general, the focus will be around access um, exclusive memorabilia opportunities, um, meet and greets, very experiential and event-based. We've noticed that in this trend, that what fans desire is access into seeing the behind-the-scenes of things, access to these athletes unlike ever before. Um, and that's going to be our primary focus. We also have really cool programming that we think that um, we can build around um, meet and greets just in, in local bases. Like I think one thing that people don't understand is L.A., while it's a massive city, it's very divided, too, and there's different pockets, and each pocket has its own cultural interests and different things going on in it. And we want to be able to create almost micro opportunities in Orange County, in South L.A., in Malibu area, and you know, all the different walks of where L.A. is and the fans are desired. Um, we're excited to be able to bring different opportunities there. So building off that, so you might, for instance, have an event in Orange County with – with a USC quarterback and those who are members uh, on one of these tiers would have access to that and can go meet that, that player and, and have a personal moment. Exactly. And, you know, it, it starts there and it goes to, you know, tier moments. You, you can imagine NFL draft parties and times where the athlete and the fan had never been able to interact. We're excited to bring that interaction together. What, monetarily, what are those kind of opportunities – mean for the athletes if, if i'm a if i'm a star usc player and i'm making an appearance at one of these events what's a ballpark or what i'm getting out of that you know it re really one of the things that we have to make sure that we're following for the safety of our athletes is just true market value and, and one thing that's interesting is inside of state out is market we we are working with athletes and creators at the national level which allows us to protect ourselves slightly because we can lean on and saying hey we know the value of an athlete going to an event should be this. So it's not that we're just making this number up. There's validity behind our numbers. And that helps us from an NCAA standpoint and compliance standpoint to show that this is not just some pay-to-play model. But it really just depends. You know, obviously your star quarterback is going to be much, much different than, um, you know, a uh, you know women's basketball player is going to be much, much different than a soccer player. Like their marketabilities are different. And they all bring different characteristics. But, I mean, we're talking a few thousand dollars for, for event appearances in general can, can easily happen for, for a lot of the athletes. And we're, we're, I think a lot of people are getting caught up in the headlines of, like, 
millions of dollars are being spent on these certain athletes. Yeah. And I will tell you from somebody that's been able to sit for the last 21 days talking with a lot of USC fans, uh, I feel like so many people think that USC is behind the curve and that they're not proactively, you know, handling the situation properly. And I will tell you this, like we are far from behind the curve on the USC front. Um, there's a lot of confidence in terms of what we're going to be able to compete with. And as we head into the Big Ten, I don't think that USC doesn't go toe-to-toe with any of those those premier brands that are out there from a financial perspective. I'm going to get into the Big Ten stuff here in a second. But just to, to stay where we're at, what has been the fan response so far in terms of people emailing in and saying, hey, I, I want to be a part of this? It's been great. Obviously, there's a lot to come, and, and we haven't fully launched. It's going to launch in August for, for fans to fully come on. But we've started to interact with with key stakeholders and understanding of, of what needs to get done. And, and I can tell you that it's not just the fans. Former athletes are coming back in waves wanting to support, and they see this as the opportunity to come back and directly impact athletes. One of the awesome parts of this is that a lot of fans have wanted to support athletes but this they never had the ability to directly impact a student athlete's life and and today that exists so we've seen an overwhelming amount and and when i'll say this if you're listening and we haven't responded to you we're getting to you we're getting there we're just wanting to make sure we do it in a very structured form aside from the the membership tiers is there any kind of just plain donation uh, component to it, and and if so, how is that money allocated and dispersed? Yeah, so one thing, and this seems silly, but we want to make sure that you know there's membership tiers for every level of donation that you can provide. But if you get to a certain level, we are open to business to business marketing opportunities, which is attractive for some individuals um, because it can have some tax uh, implications, and obviously their CPA and legal team would want to be involved in that. But there there are opportunities for their businesses to get involved as well. But I can tell you from a membership perspective, there are tiers that go extremely high, and we've been extremely um, grateful for the level of commitments that we've already seen from from certain uh, individuals. From the marketing side of things, if I'm a USC athlete and and I really I, I, I see that my quarterback has a, a deal with Beats headphones and I, I want to get a, a sponsorship deal, how does your venture help me get that? Yeah. We noticed as we sat and analyzed alongside USC's partner list and and internal teams that 97% of athletes did not have representation, which means that they're navigating this new space on their own, and and we wanted to be able to support that. So now they'll have optional representation that they can opt in. It's non-exclusive. They can work with other agents or teams. Um, We don't hold them to it, but it allows them to have somebody in their corner. So we will be able to facilitate and, and bring opportunities to all student athletes and that's something that's really, really awesome. But what gets overshown is that that also means that when USC's current large partners that USC has at the university level want to get down to the student athlete level, they have an, an outlet and a you know, preferred partner that they can work through. And we've already started to have conversations with USC's larger partners about how we can integrate the student athletes into their marketing dollar spend. And that's been really cool. And then that's something that we can roll out across student athletes and group licensing deals and, and much more. We talked about a, a ballpark um, compensation for an appearance and event, but overall entire picture, what's kind of the range of, of something a, a, a big time football player could potentially bring in uh, over the course of a year 
through what you all are doing for them. And, and it, let's say they have a huge social media following already. They're a, a well-known player. Uh, what, what's kind of realistic? What I would say is I, I can lean on our expertise. We've been in the athlete marketing space for a while. A, a premier athlete in the LA market probably can, can earn um, high six into the seven figures easily in an annual term. Um, and that doesn't just go for football. Everyone's going to sit there and say, oh, your star football player is going to make seven figures a year. And, and with Boulevard and with our opportunities, yes, I would say that is going to happen. But there are, I can tell you, I know for a fact, there's a few female athletes that we represent nationally that have actually brought in close to seven figures, over seven figures in the last annual term since the NILO started, mm. that our team alone facilitated. Um, we have the benefit of working and representing Lauren Burke. She was the fifth highest paid student athlete at UT. That's a female softball player at a massive football school. Um, and our talent team was able to facilitate um, a lot of opportunities for her because when she has, has built her brand, she is social first. If you go and look at Lauren Burke's socials, high engagement, big followings, almost a million on TikTok. Those opportunities exist. It's not just for football players. Um, female athletes that have those type of followings can also earn up to seven figures. Are we talking like maybe the top two or three players on the team or, or how many can potentially reach those kind of heights? I think you always have your, your, your distribution curve. I mean, I think, yeah, the top, you know, 5% of the, the team is probably going to earn into the mid six figures. Um, but I think a lot of them for, for football will be in the low six figures to high, um, you know, 75 and a thousand to a hundred thousand dollar range. That's the majority of athletes. Now, sure. if you notice any roster, even the best in the, in the, in the country have 25 elite level players, 25 mid major players and, and so on. There's a distribution of every team. Um, so it's just going to depend, but I think athletes, there's a massive opportunity if they want to go after it. And we're talking general here, so it's not about any individual, but let's kind of look at the bottom of the roster. What are the opportunities for a guy that is, is not bringing a lot of initial star power and doesn't have a social media presence? What do you do with that guy? I think he, he, he with a, an offering like Boulevard, there's a lot of opportunities for just larger group deals and group licensing, which they'll be able to pick up, you know, and those are the opportunities that come when you're in a big market because brands, yes, he may not have exact marketability for them to use him as an individual, but SC as a university, the marks and what SC represents, the team and what football represents as a successful football program, um, those things allow them to just be naturally elevated. I always talk about a thing that happens in the business sector that doesn't get talked about much in the athlete marketing side of things is that the idea of partnerships between a business and a business, a lot of times somebody's trying to elevate themselves. You'll notice that happens in telecom. T-Mobile will partner with Amazon. And if you get a T-Mobile service, you come with an Amazon Prime membership. Those type of partnerships happen. And both of those organizations are elevating their perception by teaming up with one of another. But when an athlete just naturally goes to USC, and they wear that SC mark, they've elevated themselves already. Whether their social following increases or not, their perception is that they're a USC athlete, and that immediately attracts it. And that also helps when you get into big conferences and big exposure with big networks. Like All of that is, is part of it. So that would be my advice for athletes as they're kind of making their decision. Find a partner and find a university. Don't make this your only decision-making process. But understand that does this elevate me and my my current brand when I tag myself alongside a USC? Um, in terms of overall scope, you, you mentioned this is not just about football or even just about football, basketball. 
it's across the board. How, how do you guys manage that volume of, of clientele? And especially if you're doing it with other schools as well, how do you manage all that? Yeah, a great team. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it takes a it takes a roster of really talented individuals, but it also takes an understanding of uh, scale and how to how to handle these things at scale. And luckily, we have a history of being able to do it. Um, we work on the athlete and creator side, and we've worked with campaigns that included hundreds of creators at one time. So we have the software and tools and systems and processes in place to be able to to scale this type of service. But yes, it takes a huge team, um, and, and I, again, give credit to USC. They've been really strategic internally of figuring out ways to streamline their internal process to allow for an external person to be able to move faster and not get bogged down in, in the slowness of what sometimes can happen when you're dealing with big entities of this nature. And as it's been made clear, this is an opportunity for the student-athletes. that They can opt into this. It's not anything forced upon them. What kind of percentage are you expecting will engage with what you're offering? I think we're, we're, so far what we've heard, we're going to have a, a pretty high level of turnout. And um, I think that's just because for them, there's no downside. Yeah. You know, this is optional, doesn't hold them to anything. It's non-exclusive. Might as well be part of it and be, you know, have the opportunity to have a team in your corner. And again, for those athletes that don't want to opt in, that doesn't mean that they won't still be able to be presented opportunities. We'll still be able to bring them opportunities. It'll be just a little bit more difficult because we can't technically represent them on their behalf. You mentioned the Big Ten news. Obviously, that's just dominating uh, all college football talk right now. How, how has that impacted USC's NIL potential? Has, has, does it really change things much? It's a, it's a big step forward, and, and I, I, I don't think people understand what this really means for USC. It, it extends their exposure and TV level to a, a whole new level. It enters them into another conversation around opportunities. It expands the USC student-athletes footprints nationally now. That, those are all really, really cool opportunities. Think about this for a second. With entering the Big Ten, you now take on New York and Chicago, right? There's L.A., New York, and Chicago are huge markets that brands want to spend money in. From a person that's sitting in the decision-making room alongside these brands and helping guide them, I can tell you New York, Chicago, and L.A. are in every single conversation around when we're trying to penetrate regional markets and touch audiences. Those three cities are definitely circled. That's all the way through Fortune 100s, Fortune 500s. They all find those markets important. And now USC is in all three of those markets. So it's a massive step forward. It prepares them for the future. And I think it could not have been a better time to make that move. Good stuff. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier the the collectives. It's kind of the, the dominant term in this NIL landscape these days. And you had a nice thread on Twitter uh, the other day, kind of breaking down some of the key points of of uh, how you all differentiate and why that's significant. What is the downside of collectives? A traditional collective today? Yeah. Um, I think the, the, the downside of a collective in its most minimalist form would be um, it's not truly operating in the best interest of the, of the school and the student athletes in the long term. They're solely focused on paying student-athletes to get them to come to their school. And that is a very small portion of a much longer-term solution that we need. And I think that's the issue that we have today. And because of that, their sole focus is that they don't have the resources, staff, support, connections, relationships, 
to get marketing dollars in for these student athletes. It's a short-term transaction. Come here, I give you X, best of luck. Student athlete loses because they don't have long-term success. Brands don't trust them. Networks don't trust them. And it just is a very shallow relationship. And I think that's the fear that I have is that, unfortunately, that's been the focus. And as more state doubted come into the mix, we, when I can call some of our clients, Lululemon and Microsoft and State Farm, and have real conversations with us, and when I call, they answer the phone and they trust that, that myself, my team, our agency understands what is needed and is a professional in our industry. That can't happen with very traditional level collectives. That's a great point, and I think it's very significant that you all are staying out of the, the recruiting space. Uh, this whole NIL thing has seemed like the wild, wild west to many of us, uh, with the NCAA just not really governing it. Uh, from your vantage point, you're in these discussions all the time. Do you think there is going to be a, a correction on that, where this, I'm just going to call it pay-for-play stuff, is, is, is cracked down on eventually, and these collectives face some kind of reckoning? I think that we will see a correction um, when we see that, I, I don't know. Um, but I, what I would tell you is that I, I think we need to, and, I, and I, this is a little bit of a bold statement, but I'll stand behind it. I think we need to stop worrying about what the NCAA thinks. And I, I say that in the, in the sense that uh, they're the reason why we're here today. They had multiple years to be able to figure this out, and they didn't. Yeah. So it's not our time 11 months or 12 months into NIL to continue to worry about what the NCAA is going to do. I think it's going to go on the conferences. As we continue to move towards power conferences, those conferences need to step in and find a way to make sure that the sport and the entertainment factor for fans is protected. That's the ultimate thing that we need to protect. This is an entertainment business. That's where it is, and, and no one's speaking about it enough. This is what it is. It's entertainment, and we need to protect the entertainment factor, and that goes down to the level of fair recruiting and fair play, not pay to play, and when, when, it's, when it's not fair for different schools and, and, and a level playing field, fans get upset. They don't want to watch it. It feels inauthentic. It's terrible. And the reality is, yes, people can say it hasn't been fair for years. Certain schools and conferences have been doing this for years, and finally it's all above board. But, no, it's still not right, right? Like two wrongs don't make it right. And the reality is I'm hoping and I'm pushing that conference – conferences and, and they step in and say, hey, we're going to do this at the conference level, the NCAA can, can figure out their own game because they, they clearly don't care. For sure. And that's very well said. Uh, just to close, I want to kind of start with just the origin of all this. And obviously the, the announcement came out last month, but certainly that was the product of, of many months in uh, preparation. What was the origin point where, where this kind of started to crystallize? We've spent probably close to 10 months uh, analyzing this. And um, this really started to come together a few months ago as we really felt like we had the right approach. Um, I, I give credit to so many of USC's partners were involved in this, Altius, their internal teams, the university was. This was a collective university level decision. And that just, for, for I want USC fans to understand, that means USC is back on the right ship. And for a long time, the reason why USC sometimes stumbled is there wasn't straight alignment from all the way top down. And they've been able to get that done. And the administration is in line and all thinking the same way. It's why Lincoln Riley is there at USC. It's why we're headed to the Big Ten. And it's why we have the most attractive NIL program in the country. And it's a great day to be a Trojan. There's never been a more alignment across the board. And, and I'm excited to see how that translates into to winning and success. 
we, we first kind of uh, heard about you and the connection with USC back in October of 2020 with Boulevard Studios initially. W- were there any roots from what that was that have kind of transferred into creating this idea? Yeah, it, it really, it, Boulevard as a brand started then. And it actually, it has some resemblance to, to the overarching USC relationship that we have. Um, that, that relationship, that scope of work originally formed an idea of we wanted to be able to create content for brands and for athletes and be able to begin this brand building process. At the time, we knew this was coming, but we couldn't directly pay athletes or be involved in that. This, the rules hadn't got there yet, but we knew they were going to happen eventually. And I give credit to you know being an early adopter. We jumped in and we were able to work with the, the university and the athletic program on that, that scope and start this. So we're not starting from zero. Studios, Boulevard Studios, and that kind of crew was the kicking off point. And it's funny that it started all the way back in 2020. What was the evolution from there and, and kind of the point where you, you pivoted and said, okay, maybe it's not going to be this, but it's going to be this. And, and, and was there just uh, some things you had to just learn along the way? Of course, we had to wait and see what the NCAA would do in, in, in you know, 2021, July 1st, 2021. And we started in October of 2020. So we had you know nine months where we were in a little bit of a gray area, not sure what it would look like. And when it finally came out, we, we was closer to than what we predicted it would be. So we were excited about that. And it allowed us to, to tee ourselves up for a very successful period of time. The reason why you may say, hey, well, if you were nine months ahead of it, why didn't we roll faster? You still have to spend like people don't realize that when an industry, a billion dollar industry like college football gets turned upside down, what happens in the first 11 months is kind of irrelevant. Right. In the big macro picture of what's happening, what's important is that you be patient and you get yourself situated for the long term and don't try to make short term decisions. And, and that's really what we did from July 1st all the way to where we announced it a couple of weeks back. We spent hours analyzing every single university's program, what they're doing, what the state laws are, and figuring out what the most structured process would be for USC specifically. Great stuff. Very last question for you. Uh, what is left in the ramp up process between now and when you guys officially launch? We are starting to be able to have more conversations with all the sports and their athletes around what are, what are we looking for? What are, what's here from them first before we kick off into the market? But we have a huge rollout plan coming for August, so fans get ready for that because that is going to be our, our launch, and we have a great season coming ahead. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of success this fall, so I think it's it's primed up. Michael Calvin Jones, thank you so much for the time and the insight. Really enjoyed that. Yeah, thanks so much, Ryan. One last question for you. Yeah. What 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 are you most excited about after you've seen the last 21 days? What does that look like for you? Oh man, uh, <laughs> that's, that's a great that's a great question. I. Well, there's so many unknowns still about where does this realignment end? What's the final picture look like? Uh, what is this big tenant USC is going to be a part of? But I, I think everyone's known for a long time that the USC brand was perhaps outshining the Pac-12 conference brand. And now USC is going to be in a place that can more properly uh, maximize its potential in, in that way and and really support its full capabilities. So I think that's the excitement for all fans is that they're now a part – they're a major player in a major conference, and there's no limitations from that side of things. I love it. No, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Like it was interesting when they came out and they said that 
the, the, the network deal lost about 40% of its value. And that shows you that two schools were holding 40%, but exactly. they were sharing the whole thing evenly. And, and that's staggering to think about what, what USC was being able to bring. So I, I had, I want to have fun and see what your thoughts were, but yeah, Ryan, I really appreciate your time and, and, and everyone in the whole fan base of USC, thanks for welcoming us into this new NIL era in such a fun way. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk again in the future, but I want the fans to hear directly from you. And then that was a, a great, great opportunity for them. Thanks, Ryan. Okay. I hope you found that as, uh, as insightful and, and helpful and uh, informative and useful as I did conducting the interview with Michael Calvin Jones. We thank him for coming on and uh, shedding some uh, some good perspective and insight into that operation. We're going to continue on and bring in Spencer Harris, USC's former director of player personnel, who is now a senior account director for sports under state added, uh, overseeing the Boulevard side of the operation. And we'll get more into exactly what that role entails and his own unique perspective on NIL in college sports and what this partnership means for USC. And we also get into just some other good stuff about USC recruiting and his time working with Lincoln Riley for, for seven months or so. Um, near the end of the interview with Spencer, we will dovetail into, into some USC football stuff and USC recruiting talk because I wanted to really maximize our opportunity with him and, and really leverage his perspective and, and insight. So without further ado, let's bring in Spencer Harris. Spencer, how's it going? What's going on, Ryan? Thanks for having me on. Oh, th- thanks for being here. I was re- really excited to get, get your perspective on things and, and your side of, of all this. And I really just want to start with the transition. It's a big move for you. You go from kind of running the USC recruiting department to now being fully on the NIL side of things. How did this come about and why was it appealing to you to jump into this uh, realm yeah right big transition uh you know i've i've had a relationship with with mike um over the last couple of years um he's been involved with usc football usc athletics um in a variety of ways uh since 2020 so i've, I've built that relationship with him and as boulevard came to fruition um i really saw the opportunity to uh take a, the next step in this space um i've Loved my my opportunity at USC previously. Um, you know, really um, enjoyed my three years there, and and, and thoroughly uh, feel great about the future of the program under Coach Riley and um, everything that I helped you know get accomplished there in the last seven months. But a big part of my role um, in uh, as the director of player personnel over the last couple of years, obviously, has been the the player evaluation and roster management. Um, and, and player acquisition, but so much of that in today's recruiting world now is, is NIL. And so I really saw this as kind of a natural transition away from working directly in a football office, which you know has its, its positives and negatives, but uh, ability to, to stay in football and stay in college sports, but kind of take on this next new wave where I get to oversee this NIL operation that I feel really confident and passionate about um, and still play a role in uh, helping Coach Riley uh, build a championship roster. Uh, like I mentioned, we just talked to, to Michael kind of about the overview of, of what you all are trying to do. 
But let me just ask you, what what do you find most compelling about the state added model, Boulevard model, and and how you think it's going to impact USC? Yeah, I think uh, the most compelling part of it is, is having the expertise of, of Mike and, and the company that he's built that is based in a marketing and, and sponsorship and media background um, that is very unique across college, college athletics and college football. Um, you see these collectives around the country that are doing some good things and they're raising money from their boosters, but um, most of these are booster-led and, and they're just trying to distribute those funds to their athletes where I think we, um, what we're doing here in the model that we have is is thinking bigger and brighter um, and trying to, I think we are the evolution of, of collectives and what it's been in the last, you know, year or so. And we can take that expertise that Mike has uh, and his company uh, has built a great reputation on and, and capitalize on all things that are great about USC, uh, which is the alumni support, uh, this major uh, booming university and in, in, in the media capital of college football. Uh, and we get to lean in into all of that. So it's really the perfect blend for uh, an opportunity like this. And, um, you know, USC should be the, the epicenter of NIL. Um, and, and that's what our plans are, uh, is to, to capitalize on, on all of that. I want to get more into your role specifically in a minute, but just staying with kind of this last year and, the, the impact of NIL and how it's evolved and changed. What was it like from the player personnel side of things, seeing what it's become, maybe not quite what everyone expected? Uh, just how much did it change your job on that side of things? Yeah, it's been a huge part of it. Even since the 2021 class and uh, Corey Foreman's class, and we've been talking about NIL uh, for a long time within the walls of, of USC football. Um, anticipating that July 1st, 2021 date, and then it happened, and everything that's come since then, uh, it's just a huge piece of it because every player, you know, they know how you're going to support them uh, from a financial standpoint and how they can build their brand and how they can make money uh, while they're a college athlete to set themselves up for the next stage of their lives, whether that's the NFL or or outside of football. So um, you you have to get this part right. You have to have structure and support in place uh, to support your players through NIL if you want to be competitive in recruiting. Um, whether that's good or bad for college football recruiting, um, that's what it is nowadays. Obviously, you have to have some other things in place as well that are, you know, the, the standard, you know, are they going to develop me into an NFL football player? Do they have, you know, the academics? Do I want to live there? Do I have a relationship with the position coach? Those are all still very important. But if you don't have NIL right, then you're probably not going to get that recruit. Um, so that's just where it's gone, and uh, I'm, that's just the reality of the situation uh, in today's world. You guys officially launched in August. To this point, has has it felt like USC was at a disadvantage in the NIL space, especially with all these collectives popping up, and was that a source of frustration on your end, on the coaching staff's end? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, we've been talking about NIL and Boulevard, like I said, and, and the potential of it uh, to recruits for a long time. But talk can only go so far. Potential can only go so far. And so when we get beat by other programs that are actually executing and um, have this structure already in place before we did, yeah, that's that's definitely a source of frustration. And that's why you know I felt this move 
was such a strong opportunity for me um, because I, I know the ins and outs uh, of recruiting. I know the ins and outs of, of USC football. And I knew that if I could be the guy that could get this part right for USC, then that, that's just going to lead to a ton of success in recruiting and then obviously on the field uh, for Lincoln. What were the talks behind the scenes about really embracing this direction as opposed to trying to rally a collective through the boosters and, and kind of copy what other schools are doing? Yeah, I mean, I think working with uh, Brandon Sosna and, and Mike Bone, like their their model since they got here has always been let's evaluate the, this, the environment and let's make the best decision for USC football that is – uh, sustainable long-term investment and uh, can can disrupt the industry. And I think Mike and Brandon, uh, obviously Brandon no, no longer, but um, they've made those decisions uh, in all aspects of the football program, the athletic department since they got here. And NIL was no different. Um, they weren't going to do something because somebody else is doing it or it's what have you done for me lately. It was what is the best long-term decision uh, that will you know, make us the most competitive football program in that like department in the country long term. Um, and that's why uh, they went with this model. This is obviously the direction USC wants to go with it, but we've seen at other schools, these collectives can pop up without really the school's involvement. It's just that you know, the boosters on their own can, can get that going. Is, is there any thought or concern or th- that that might develop uh, independent of what you guys are trying to do for USC? I think it's definitely a possibility, but what we can do is is lean into the donors and build trust and relationships with them and uh, show them that this is the best possible route to support USC athletes and, and football players at the highest level. You, you know, you, you mentioned what some other collectives are doing and booster involvement. Well, there they, there's also a lot of problems within yeah. that, um, whether it's legal, whether it's NCA, whether it's for the players' eligibility. Uh, the school's involvement. Uh, there's a lot of hurdles uh, and challenges that, that happening at those schools, even if social media doesn't make it look that way. So what we're doing here is, is we provide a level of protection for everybody involved, whether it's the school, whether it's the player, whether it's the head coach, uh, whether it's the donor, um, and whether it's ourselves, because we have this really clear, defined structure um, that is very legal, uh, but is also extremely competitive. Um, so we're, we're not worried about any uh, question marks or investigations, and, and I'm sure they'll come, uh, but we'll, if and when they do, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be open book. Exactly, and to that point, just to reemphasize it, USC has clearly put the focus on helping existing student-athletes uh, profit from NIL and, and not what's happening elsewhere, which is uh, almost – you might as well just call it pay for play. It's, it, it's, you know, recruiting inducements. As you've been evaluating all this, is there an expectation or, or, or a thought that this will regulate at some point? And even though the NCAA has had pretty much zero oversight to now that there might be some reckoning for, for those that are, are dealing more in the recruiting space with NIL. I've, I hope that there's some examples made, but I'm not going to worry about what anybody else is doing. Uh, or whether that's the NCA or other programs, I'm going to worry about what we can do within the structure and rules that are put in place right now. I don't think we need to, we don't need to go down that road. 
to, to build a championship roster at, at all sports, but specifically football. Um, all we need to do is, is support our guys at the highest level, uh, and that will show recruits that when they step on campus that this is what the potential they have to earn. And if we can do that, and, and if we can uh, out-compete other programs with how they're supporting their current student-athletes, then we'll get the recruits that we need to win. And, and that's, that's the end goal. We're not going to get every recruit, and not every recruit is going to come, is going to make a decision on NIL, but we can build the best championship roster with this structure uh, amongst all the other great things at USC and what, what Lincoln is doing, and um, that's all that matters. Yeah, it's, it's a very clear vision and, and, and very compelling. Just lastly on this, and then I will transition away, but I, I'm, a, I'm really fascinated in what the perspective has been behind the scenes. And again, like I said earlier, when NIL was coming to fruition, I don't think anyone knew what it was going to morph into what it's become. What was the reaction within a, a department, within a coaching staff, as the reports start coming out of this player is getting $8 million to go play at this school, this guy's getting $10 million to go here. How was that just received and processed? These guys are still in high school. Some, you know, haven't even played two full seasons of football. Um, and it's just a lot to put on those players. Um, they have a lot of developing still to go, um, both physically, mentally, on the, on the field, off the field. Um, so to put those types of numbers in front of them, people are going to do what they what they feel like they need to do and and that's not my place to say whether it's right or wrong um i don't think we will even <laughs> we don't need to do things like that um and we won't um all we need to do is, is worry about what we need to do to be competitive for sure um so segueing on i, I want to get more into your role and the specifics what you're going to be doing on, on a day-to-day basis how you get hands-on with this kind of take us through your vision for for your new position yeah, so my role will, um, number one, be working with the boosters um, and really building relationships uh, with the boosters and trying to raise as much money as possible so we can have the biggest athlete fund uh, in the country uh, to go distribute to our athletes through these uh, legitimate NIL opportunities. That That is priority number one, uh, is, is building relationships and bridges with the people that want to support USC student-athletes. Um, and it's not just, you know, raising uh, individual funds. It could be uh, sponsorship opportunities and working with their companies and, and just trying to tap into uh, the Los Angeles community um, and, and people tied to the USC business world as much as possible. So that is priority number one with me. And then it's it's organizing our, our structure uh, within USC, building relationships with all sports, all coaching staffs, and learning their needs for NIL, learning about their players, um, and, and putting all that operational needs into place uh, because this is a big undertaking for, for everybody, for USC, for us since they doubted. Um, you know, trying to work with uh, every single student athlete and giving them these opportunities is, is a major undertaking. Uh, and building these, these, this structure and organization uh, to provide those resources, to provide the uh, representation, to provide the financial literacy. Uh, so it's it's going to take a lot of work, and um, there's a lot of us involved uh, to help organize it. Um, part of the reason we brought in uh, Megan Mueller as well is to work directly with the athletes and managing uh, their needs and schedules and uh, building relationships with their parents and um, all those types of things. Uh, there's a lot to it. Um, so I will really be um, just kind of the, the behind-the-scenes organizer uh, of the whole process uh, to make sure it's running as efficiently as possible. 
it really is a, a big scope, and then people just really focus on the on the football and then maybe basketball elements of it. But this is a service that's going to be available to all USC student athletes, and that's a, that's a that's a big clientele to to manage and handle. So it's going to be interesting. To, Correct. <laughs> to see how that goes. So it's exciting. It's it's new. Um, there will be changes, and we will be ready to adapt with them. And I think it's it's not so different than what I was doing within my role at USC. Yeah, I was I was organizing the, the recruiting department um, and working with uh, high school recruits and our staff there. And um, now it's just working with our USC student athletes. But it's really similar type of organization. It's strategic decision making. What has been the appetite from boosters to get involved to want to support this that you've seen so far yeah it's a it's a step-by-step process it's it's such a big education for for many of them yes uh, nil has been in the news for a long time um and yes um some have been very anxious to contribute uh, but a lot like these are businessmen businessmen and women that want to get involved and they want to make sure that uh that their level of involvement is uh done the right way um, that it's supporting athletes but it's also uh, NCA compliant and um, that there's this clear structure in place and we're not just forking over cash uh, to people that aren't aren't supported in the right way. Um, so it's an education process, but obviously there are a lot of big time donors that want to support and help and uh, we're looking for um, anybody that wants to be a part of this because um, we really believe that this is the path to bringing championships to USC on a consistent basis. Great stuff. Uh- I want to close with just some of your perspective on on the program itself. And you had seven months working with Lincoln Riley since he came aboard. What stood out to you just about about him, about the way he's gone about uh, shaping this program and, and just uh, kind of seeing him behind the scenes? Right. I think it's just his confidence. Uh, he came in with a really clear vision, a really clear plan, with this is how we need to build championships here at USC, and he hasn't wavered from it. Whether that's attacking the transfer portal, whether that's attacking high school recruiting, whether that's changing the culture of our current players, uh, both through himself and accountability and and Coach Wiley down in the weight room and what he's done down there. Everything has been laid out uh, and made very uh, strict decisions every single day uh, and buy into the process to, to build a winner. Um, these, these things do not happen overnight. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of trust. It takes a lot of commitment. And he has laid out that plan uh, for his staff and has never wavered on it. Uh, he's been very direct with his movements and, and decisions that he's made at all aspects of the day and all aspects of the program. Uh, and that's why we've had a ton of success in, in recruiting with the staff that he's hired and the momentum that we've built. Uh, and it's going to be an exciting year and a few years ahead. Uh, we, the, the team is going to look a, a lot different, uh, as you know, than it did last fall. And it's, it's amazing what you can accomplish uh, in one offseason in one year. So I, I can't wait to see what the product on the field looks like and, and the season they have. And not just, you know, this coming year. It's, it's a bright, bright future ahead uh, for USC football. Yeah, no, it's, it's been nonstop intrigue uh, these last seven months for the fans, for us covering the program. Is If you had to, to boil it down to one thing, is, is there is there one way in which the program has changed that just is the most starkest difference in your eyes? Hard to pin one way um, because when you bring in so many new people, everything changes. Uh, but I think it's just 
it's a confidence with accountability and you know everybody in the building is committed to building a winner and it's not just talk it's 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 how we execute how we make decisions it's having that clear vision that clear path um so it, it's hard to pin one way but it's just the, the daily decisions that are made uh to build a winner i i never got a chance to to ask you about this i was fascinated by just the entire process of after he was hired and you were part of that plane ride out to pick him up and kind of get him up to speed on the on the roster and the personnel what was that plane ride back like uh kind of your first meeting with lincoln and and getting him acquainted with what he was walking into uh unforgettable i mean it was a, a very unique experience for me and um can't thank brandon and mike enough for allowing me to be a part of that process uh, i had worked with brandon you know for the previous you know month or two months preparing uh, for that new head coach, obviously I had zero idea who it was going to be, but I, I put as much time and effort into preparing mystery man. Uh, and then when he called me that, that morning and said, it's Lincoln Riley and the plane's leaving in five hours, uh, we, had, we, we had the books ready. And, you know, that plane ride back, uh, as Brandon has said previously, I mean, it was, it was three hours of straight personnel uh, reviewing you know, everything that we put together and evaluating uh, the roster and, and just trying to start on that decision path and, and making decisions as quickly and efficiently as possible that were going to set us up for success for this coming season. Uh, so to be a part of that was like truly unforgettable. And, you know, just the last seven months overall, working really closely with Lincoln to continue making those decisions uh, has, was an awesome experience. And uh, I feel very fortunate to, to have gone through that with him and, to also continue working with him, just a little bit of a different uh, position. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then with, with the coaching staff that came in, obviously you worked very closely with all the coaches and coordinating recruiting. What stood out to you about the staff you put together and, and, and the guys you got to know a little bit? Really close. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to bring a football staff in from multiple different places. Um, obviously there's a good chunk from Oklahoma. There's one holder from USC. It's hard to – bring all these people together and, and build close bonds. Um, and transparently, I think, you know, that's been an issue at USC over the last, you know, three years that I've been here is it's you're, you're piecing different coaching staffs together. Um, but it's been very cool to see this staff come in all at once uh, and really buy into the program and uh, work together on all aspects of it, whether it's offense, defense, special teams, whether it's recruiting, uh, whether it's, you know, having – fun outside the office um i think you know just seeing the the bond that, that's built and the the buy-in and direction uh to make long-term decisions for the betterment of the program uh was fun to fun to work with is there is there one of those coaches that really impressed you the most as a recruiter and and his approach and that side of things yeah that's hard, hard to give one uh i'm really excited to see uh the future for alex grinch um, I think he, you know, being able to be a part of his meetings with the players, seeing how he approached just changing the culture, the defense, um, you know, how he recruits, the success that he's had just in his short time. Yes, you know, Lincoln uh, is obviously a big part of it, uh, but on, just on the defense side of the ball, being able to, to sign a Damani Jackson, um, got a, you know, a couple really good commits already in that 23 class. Um, so he's, you know, some major transfers. So it's been fun to see what, what Alex has done there. 
Um, cannot wait to see uh, the transformation on the field. And I think he's got a really, really bright future in this business uh, as a head coach. Uh, so I think he's the one that really, if I had to pick one, uh, he would be the one that I, I'd select. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, he impressed us just in our interviews through the spring and uh, always had great answers for everything and really thoughtful guy. Uh, a great insight. The recru- the recruiting department overall, what was kind of the the evolution that was taking place is obviously Lincoln brought in Annie Hansen from Oklahoma. You guys were working together for these last six, seven months. What's going to be different about the way that department structured versus what you were doing for the last few years? Yeah, hard to say what, what the future holds for the recruiting department, obviously. More so, I can't speak specifically on, on how it will, sh- it will shift, but uh, over over the last six months when I've been there, you know, hasn't been a as much change as, you know, you'd think looking on the outside, um, obviously working with Annie and her team, uh, but, you know, from my position, uh, it was really just focused on personnel and player evaluation, and then Annie and her team uh, did a lot of the recruiting operations. Uh, so we worked together, uh, but it, it wasn't too different than, you know, what you'd see previously or, or in the future. Good deal. Just a few last questions for you. Looking back on, on your time in that role, is the, was there one day, one moment that stood out the most to you, just kind of a, an overall highlight where, where just maybe the most satisfaction was taken? In my, in my three years there? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'd say the highlight was, was signing uh, Corey Foreman. Uh, that, that night, I think it was the Thursday night of, of signing day, and we played the Pac-12 Championship the next day. Uh, which unfortunately we lost, but uh, there was a lot of uncertainty there, and um, we we signed him at twelve fifteen in the morning, uh, receiving that phone call from Gavin. I I think that was a the biggest win for us. Uh, we had made it, we had made a lot of decisions uh, in the previous six months, kind of leading up to to Corey's decision in hopes of, of signing him. They ended up paying off, uh, whether it was nil or on the field, and um, so stuff like that where. I think that was probably the moment that I'd take away uh, as a highlight. I figured that would be it. And, you know, fans could never have a a full perspective on how much work you guys put into each and every target you go after. And I'm sure when you just miss on a guy, it's it's, it's crushing. When you win a big battle like that, it's got to be exhilarating. What what would you say is the one thing that, that fans probably don't understand about the recruiting process? I think it would be that we don't want every guy that is on social media that we that we might lose to another school. Right. Um, you know, there there are, and there are reasons beyond what is said on social media or what is said in articles as to why we may have lost a recruit. Um, but I would say with the recruits that we do want and may not get. We are working just as hard as anybody in the country and doing everything that we possibly can uh, to sign the best players and build the best team. Uh, and it doesn't always work out. Recruits choose programs for various reasons. They're not going to get every recruit, and we don't want every recruit. So I think that's probably just you know the overall biggest misconception. For sure, for sure. Last recruiting question. It's um, obviously offensive line recruiting has been a, a challenge, and, and part of that is that there aren't many guys out west. Uh, our own rivals rankings if you go through it I think there was like three guys in our top 70 linemen that were even in the western part of the country and and 
maybe one or none in California. How real is that? Is that obstacle just that those guys are really coming from different parts of the country and aren't in USC's backyard? Yeah, I think it's it's part ob- obstacle, but I, myself and, and no one in that office would ever use that as an excuse. Uh, we There are guys out there that we can, whether they're ranked high or not, uh, that we can sign and, and, and win championships on the O-line and D-line. Obviously, yes, we. it is a fact that uh, there may be a higher quantity in other parts of the country, um, but that doesn't mean uh, that we can't finish and, and execute on signing the, the best players out here. Yes, it hasn't always worked out that way over the last couple of years or even in this current class, but the, the job's not finished. And, and until the, the, the ink is signed, um, we're going to continue fighting for O-line, D-line um, each year, and we have the best – you know, the best people in place to, to help recruit those guys, go do it. Um, so I, I hate using that excuse because we just got to do a better job if, if, if and when we do this on somebody. Good stuff. Well, my final overall question, you mentioned Brandon Sosna earlier. Obviously, he moves on to the Detroit Lions, kind of goes out with a bang here with this Big Ten transition. Um, you guys were very close, and I, I wanted to get your perspective. I, I've, tried to, I've tried to convey it to fans just what – kind of impact he had on, on USC on that program from your vantage point how do you even sum it up the impact he had in his, in his time here man I, I, I don't know if you can I, I, he needs to write a book on it so that they can get the full grasp of it I mean from, from the second that he stepped foot on campus uh, the decisions that he's made and the impact that, that he's had on the program uh, and some of them aren't even public whether it's you know leading us through all the COVID issues, whether it's dealing with all the legal stuff with NIL. I mean, it is unbelievable the amount of work uh, that he accomplished and the amount of things that he took on his plate. And he took it in stride. And uh, he's definitely a a really great mentor of mine um, and someone that has helped me a ton over the last few years. And I feel really uh, appreciative of the relationship that, that we have working at USC. And I think that will continue. And uh, I cannot wait to see uh, what he does with the Lions. His, his future is extremely, extremely bright. Uh, so he's a, a special dude uh, that I uh, just call a friend and um, cannot wait to see what happens with him. Well, great stuff, great conversation. Spencer, thank you so much for your time and, and best of luck in, in this new venture. Absolutely. Thanks, Ryan. I really appreciate it. All right, and that's the show. Thank you to Spencer Harris. Thank you to Michael Calvin Jones. Thank you to the listeners of this program. We are weeks away from the start of USC fall camp. Pac-12 Media Day is two Fridays from now. Fall camp will start. We don't have an official date yet, but very soon thereafter. And we will... Just be flooding the site with content at trojansports.com. So make sure you are a part of our community because things are ratcheting up as we move closer and closer to the start of the 2022 football season. But as you know, fall camp is its own massive storyline that we will be covering from all angles with our entire Trojansports.com team. I don't know what or when the next podcast will be, but it will be before the start of fall camp. In the meantime, 
check trojansports.com because we are counting down the top most important USC players for this season, position previews, breakout candidates, some feature stories. I can't even recall everything we're doing off the top of my head. So just be on the site, be on the lookout for great stuff coming, leading into fall camp. Thank you for listening to the Trojan Talk podcast. We appreciate it.